Hi, and welcome to the Productize Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find the Productize Podcast from your favorite podcast player app, and you can subscribe from there. This is our show where we talk with productizers and innovators and cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you. All right, so welcome to the 19th episode of the Productize podcast. This is the podcast where innovators, geeks, creators, and entrepreneurs come to discuss impactful ideas. Our mission is to inspire people. And my name is Andre Marquis, and I'm your host. So, hey, everyone. Uh, today, I'm talking with João Montenegro, an entrepreneur, a technologist, designer, space enthusiast with over 10 years experience in building products and companies. He has worked with company builders, VCs, mentoring, and teaching at university level and co-founded various businesses. João is an innate leader and collaborator with the drive to continuously inspire others. When he's not designing 3D printers, vehicles, and digital products and services, João spends his time doing amateur astronomy in inhospitable places, talking about the future with friends and reading the National Geographic magazine. Welcome, João. How, how is it going? Are you back to Lisbon for good or are you already <laughs> planning to go somewhere else? Hey, Andrea, thank you for having me. Um, uh, well, who knows? Uh, I think saying for good at anything is a, a big <laughs> commitment. Um, I'm now in Lisbon, yes. Yeah, you're now. actually from Porto. Yes, I'm from Porto. I was born there. Yeah. Okay, but the reason I'm asking is that you you were in Dubai Oh, yeah, recently, yeah. Recently doing the Space University. Oh, no, actually, it was a presentation of uh, the Space University project, yeah. Right. But, uh, yeah, basically, I was in Dubai very recently. And before, where I did the ISU program was in uh, Strasbourg, in France. In France. All right, yep. very well. So, business, technology, design, space. Why do you have such a range of interests in such diverse industries? And I'm actually curious if you have any favorite topic in which you feel more at ease, that you feel home. <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, I would say that uh, the oldest one in those in those uh, in that list is space. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always, uh, you know, obsessed with it since mm -hmm. I was very very young. Where does was, where does it come from? That interest. Uh, I mean, it's it's something I decided very consciously when I was around 10, 10 years old. Um, okay, very consciously. Yeah, I, I had previous interests and I decided they were not sustainable and there was not a, a lot of source of information and the world wasn't going that direction. <laughs> so okay. I decided I want to have yeah. more books about these things and uh, there's not enough. So I changed into space at the time. Oh. And I was gone. I was actually uh, on my way to become an astronomer. Uh, in the beginning, I, I studied uh, physics engineering, uh, but eventually uh, I got into design because I was always very at the in parallel. Uh, you know, liking a lot to make things and create things and design things. You know, you were ten years old. Where 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 is this coming from? Do you have parents in you know doing this, or well, how did you get this uh, hook on space? It's a good question, actually. Um, I mean, I've I've been lucky about a few things. Um, my parents traveled when I was little, so we were in the United States for a while. Visited mm. a lot of mu nice museums back then, um, and uh, I always had people. I mean, especially in my family, <clears throat> that liked uh, that have a lot of interests, and uh, you know, I got a subscription to magazines when I was very young. 
you mentioned National Geographic, and it's kind of the oldest subscription I have. My okay. grandfather gave it to me since I was a kid. Wow. And every now and then, and you know, NetGeo has space uh, yeah. articles, right? Yeah. And a lot of technology articles. And I started yeah. to decide based on that. I was like, well, these articles appear more and more. This seems a, a good still, thing to like. right? You know, I have kids on that age range. If I give them National Geographic, it'll just... Yeah, whatever. Just put it on. They just ditch <laughs> it and go to their iPad and play Minecraft or something like that. So, well, where where is this space interest coming from? Because mm-hmm. you know it's not so common for for such a young kid to be hooked on this. That's a, I mean, I, it's just something innate. You found it fascinating. What was? Yeah. Um, so. Back then, I think I was very interested in like, uh, you know, sci-fi and, you know, a couple of ideas around space. I was, of course, uh, already interest, very interested in other things. And I, since I was very little, I was very obsessed with stuff. Okay. Uh, and that's perhaps how I got also eventually into product. Uh, I mean, being obsessed with things, I think, is part <laughs> yeah, of these, uh, that these areas. So um, how, yeah. how did you get into product design? Because your steps were in the University of Aveiro, then you, you've been to Politecnico de, de Milano, yeah. eventually the, the International Space University, which, by the way, upcoming edition is happening yeah. in 2022, uh, is, is going to be here in the Lisbon region. So did your studies help you learn uh, about product design? How did you you know, get diverted from... Mm-hmm. physics and such hard topics like those and end up doing product um uh, i think it's a bunch, bunch of uh, happy accidents this, you know with decisions in the meantime mm-hmm. um i started doing physics engineering right uh, i decided that i eventually was not at home Where? there at, at, at no at here in uh, um at here in, 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 lisbon. in lisbon and uh, at uh, fct uh, nova FCT. university okay yeah uh and um I was at 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 a point at a point uh, that I decided that I wanted to actually think about um, projects, you know, big picture projects. And usually in physics engineering, you're working with subsystems or with a regular oh, right, high like yeah high tech like uh, experiment and uh, environments. Um, and I was very curious about how to start a project from ground up. Um, and eventually, that led me to you know just decide I'm going to change areas mm. so I can you know so you. I didn't finish physics engineering, right? What, and I what? got into the University of Aveiro, and yeah, started working. Okay. You end up doing how many years of physics? Well, I didn't finish the first year actually. Okay, yeah. so you kind of decided really fast. Yeah, I had to, yeah, yeah, it was pretty fast. Yeah, <laughs> that that takes courage, right? Because once you know, most most kids once they get in, and this is I know this for a fact because I was speaking with the guys from. Uh, inspiring future and also good friends and they told me yeah you know Andre, what happens is like uh, almost half of people in portugal they don't get to the course they want to right mm-hmm. because of the clauses numbers they end up going to maybe choice number two or three or whatever but then you have an inertia right oh, yeah and once you're there you get to do friends and suddenly you have people and you realize man you know maybe this is just it is what it is becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy and you know suddenly you, you do the first year and then you think hey man i mm-hmm. just did the first year should i just quit and go yeah. somewhere else so what 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 is your thought process to say okay this is a sunk investment i'm mm-hmm. going to take this out and i'm going somewhere because you know going to product design 
it's it's a hard choice. You have to do pretty much everything everything from scratch yeah. first year again, right? Yeah. So what was your uh, thought process to, to take, in my opinion, such courageous decision? Well, um, I started talking with people that were working it at my at the university at the time at mm -hmm. the, at Nova um, in design and architecture. Um, some teachers there were doing a kind of cross uh, projects. Mm -hmm. Also, in in every other engineering university, you have pretty creative projects coming up. Um, and I found out that beginning, I was thinking, well, maybe I'm going to just change to a more uh, like mechanical engineering, or maybe you know something like biomedical engineering, something more related to uh, the technology that, right. of everyday life. Um, but eventually, I noticed that the that a lot of these decisions were being made, the decisions I liked to make also, uh, because ever since I was very young, I always liked to, for instance, draw things and design things myself. Um, and I noticed that what matched more what I was doing uh, was actually outside of the engineering a little bit, but still with a foot in engineering. Um, and being the person that these teachers that were there, mm -hmm. uh, you know, finding these people was very enlightening. You know, for instance, the architects or the or the designers, industrial designers, or even, you know, the, the product designers, they work always with engineers. They have to understand engineering. Yeah. Uh, but they also work with the business people. They have to understand business. And this kind of a, a really passion, passionate approach was similar to me, to what I liked. And you ended up going to University of Havaido yep. to do, what? what is the name of the course? Um, I did actually a course in product design and technology. Uh, it was very specific. So I was quite lucky uh, where at the time I was, it was mostly focused, of course, in industrial design, but it was very intense still in engineering. So I studied material sciences. I studied mechanical, uh, uh, well, mechanics. I studied, uh, I had mathematics. I didn't lose my engineering side there which was really uh, what I liked about that course. It was very, very cool. Um, but also had the do, do you, rec side. do you recommend it? Do you think it's... it's oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a lot of laboratories there. There's a bunch of things that, that the course enables you to do that I think is brilliant, especially for people that like multiple-sided things, you know, not just working on, a, on one vertical, but want to do something that is involving all of... Uh, all right. So yeah. product design and technology. Yep. Okay. Um... Just in case we have any, you know, any a high school student listening to this, um, do you have to do what maths or what is the? You had people coming in from both sides. Um, I had colleagues of mine coming in from uh, the arts, but also from um, uh, so you can engineering. You can get in Science. either with maths or with maybe geometry or something. I have like to that. say that I don't remember. I don't remember. Okay. It was, was a long time. Check ago. it out, guys. Go to the <laughs> University of Aveiro. We might be able to put the link on yeah. the post edit. So um, then you joined the university. Um, well, the international much later, I guess it was yeah, last it year. Was international <laughs> Space University, um, and you know, why did you decide to do it? Which First of all, if people don't know what is the International Space University, mm -hmm. so it's like this boot camp takes like eight weeks or so, yeah, right, and it happens in the summer. The sp the summer program, the yeah. summer they program, have, which is to, what you did exactly, yeah, in France in Strasbourg. Um, so, how what does it, it happen? You decided, hey man, this is my yeah. this is my bet on space. Yeah. I'm going to do this, and yeah. I was I was postponing it. for a long time actually, mm -hmm. uh, and I wanted it was something I discovered by accident. You know, the same way I decided uh, to change. You know, in the past uh, areas, 
multiple times i like to research and talk to people in the in the other side right mm -hmm. so i i kind of started making friends and, and talking with people that knew and were inside of the space industry mm -hmm. uh, for around two years and most of them talked told me about this this um, program yeah the program so eventually it kind of uh i had a lot of opinions on it um and i decided that given my you know interest in it you know might as well go um and it was worth it for it sure was. yeah for uh -huh. sure yeah did you pay yourself? Did you get a grant? How did you go? Yes, I had a grant from the from ESA. Um and uh from ESA? Yeah, the European Space Agency. Oh, nice. Yeah. Cool. And you recommend it to anyone interested in space or, you know, do you want to give any guidelines to people that mm -hmm. are considering the program? Should they go or not go? They, I mean, definitely go if you're interested in space, but go uh, thinking that it, you're going to be, the main value you're going to take out of it, in my opinion, I mean, mean, many people take a lot of different value out of it, but the main value, in my opinion, is a network and getting mm -hmm. getting connected with all these people. Um, you're pretty much during these nine weeks, eight, nine weeks, you're, you know, emerged in... It's uh, a full-time program. Yeah, it's completely full-time also. That's important to say. <laughs> uh, you have yeah. very little time to actually do everything else. I was working uh, at the time and was very tough to do it. Um, so did you ask for... No, I just did... I did it mostly during lunch times <laughs> and, uh, and any time I had between dinner and night activities. It was very... And, well, weekends as well. Um, was the it, program was the or work? <laughs> work, work. Oh, work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it did work in one hour. It did, but uh, sometimes it, it. Yeah, yeah. I was. I had help. Very a lot of help, like lot of from help. from people. Uh, from because you actually, it's like you have to go there. You have the the lectures and you have the, the workshops yeah. in in, yeah. in in place. All right. Excited about the the fact that it's coming to Lisbon next year. Oh, definitely. Yeah, I think it's an amazing. Are you going to? you know participate in any form yeah definitely yeah um i was i was lucky to be uh kind of uh you know part of a lot of things at the isu um um i was elected class representative which is something hmm. that is fun okay. um so there's always a part in the isu uh, summer program which is the um alumni weekend mm -hmm. so it's a moment like a weekend where a lot of people from all over the world just come and meet um definitely going to be there um, I've already talked with the the people from uh, the organization coming up, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I'm I'm seeing where I can fit. I, I just want to help any any way. I think it's an amazing program and brings so many amazing people to the the city and to the um, the place that the program is is at. If you think about it, I mean you you're talking about like around you know I don't know if it's a hundred or sixty. It's a, it's a large amount of people uh, coming in every week mm -hmm. from different areas of space industry to lecture and to give pr workshops. And these are experts, right? These are people right. that are, you know, at the heads of their game. Um, and, you know, just getting all of these people here, it's amazing. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity to speak about the things you like with the experts that are, they've been there, you know, like we had lectures from Jeff Hoffman, which was one of the astronauts who had fixed the Hubble Space Telescope, you know, him was teaching us about zero G stuff, and we were like, "Yeah, well, this guy knows his his thing because yeah. he's been there." <laughs> it's not it's 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 a bit you know overwhelming sometimes because you could of course have the same lecture from a person that is a is a theoretical physicist, mm -hmm. um, but it's not the same. <laughs> not the same for sure. Yeah. So, what do you enjoy most about your work nowadays? What do you feel happy? Well, I mean. <clears throat> that's a good question. I was not happy, but that that's that's a good question. So I think the main thing is, of course, uh, solving something that helps people a lot. 
um, like seeing seeing people be benefited by anything you did. Um, like a lot of the things that are kind of in the beginning I thought were going to be interesting uh, were not in the end. For instance, when I was starting at the at, at my career. Uh, I thought the interesting part would be like... <laughs> yeah, welcome to Korea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I thought like, well, the interesting part is going to be actually designing something and seeing it being developed and manufactured right. and launched, right? Um, well, no. That's like, that's the that's the, the anxious part. What right. you want to see in the end is like people saying, well, this really helps me. This really changed. This changed my life is, is one of those things that when you hear like, oh, damn, we're, I'm in the right track here. I did something right. But uh, um, yeah, I think... I think that's something that's definitely uh, the most interesting. Part. All right, so I have a tough question. At least I see it's a <laughs> tough question, right? Yeah, it's a tough question. Yeah, <laughs> which is uh, also if you had like three months, um, you know, if you got the time, people told you go on a sabbatical, have three months to learn uh, relatively new technology, mm. or really not just technology, it could be just anything you want, really. I know. Which, yeah. <laughs> what would you choose? Well, there's this thing that I'm really uh, always thinking. I've, this is like the ISU. Uh, I've been thinking about this for years. Um, <laughs> which is um, apprenticeships. Right. I really think apprenticeships are a valuable thing. You don't see enough of it. No. Um, I would love, for instance, to just go into kind of a you know a factory, for instance, and learn how to you know help build a, a wing of a plane or. You know, it of course would be more interesting even uh, to be in you know uh, kind of a RS twenty five uh, rocket uh, engine uh, site or maybe at Boca Chica. And I don't I don't care if being in a high level work, but being actually in the floor of the factory or being like in these places, mm. I think is amazing. What what's stopping you? Well, nothing. <laughs> Just the three months, I guess. I had a lot of visits to factories in my life. I I, I was lucky enough to have that in the university. Uh, we and, you know, I, and in my early career, I worked a lot with factories, um, uh, especially when I was in the industrial design. Um, and I, I miss it. I miss the 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 hard uh, the hard work of it um, and the realness of it. You learn so much, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's a good question. Uh, you know, like the ISU, I was postponing it for for some years. Maybe I'll just do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, such a powerful thing when you are postponing decisions that for some reason, you know, deep in your heart that you should be doing them, right? Mm-hmm. For some reason, you know, but, you know, life gets in the way, but then you rationalize and it's not something you, you do, but... You know, if it's there, it's in your heart. Maybe that means that you should be doing it <laughs> yeah, sooner definitely. than later. So, uh, do you think there's there's a way you can have innovation without creativity or even without tech- technology? What's your innovation, innovation thesis? Well, it changes every week, I guess. Um, innovation without technology and creativity is what you said? Yeah, I mean, innovation. Well, I'll think about it. I mean, if we're going to be very meta here, um, innovation in uh, can be seen in a natural world, right? You see, like how the the evolution shapes uh, bodies of creatures, um, you know, and you don't need pretty much to be creative in that sense. You have a machine that innovates. It's an right. innovative machine. It's called evolution. Yeah, evolution, right? <laughs> right. Um, so you can you can think that uh, part of the world is, of course, already this this machine um i would say that 
human beings value a purpose. They think that what they make has to have a meaning and a purpose. Mm -hmm. And that's where this thing we call creativity comes in, I would say, is the purpose we give to things. And I mean, I started my career with design for a reason that I think was very, very valuable to me. You know, the design, well, the thing I like, the definition I like about design is 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 the this very basic kind of to provide some value, provide some meaning, let's say. And, uh, you know, that's like making purpose on things. So you can have innovation, of course, by creating an innovative machine. Uh, let's say you can make, for instance, the, the conditions for innovation, you know, like uh, because I was reading this book Alec, by Alec Rust, one of the uh, innovation uh, advisors to, 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 I think it was Hillary Clinton. Yeah, mm. I know, I don't remember because I read it a long time, actually. But he always said that, well, you can work a lot on creating the, in the innovation conditions of a specific location, um, but that's not going to guarantee anything. And he said this to an answer to his travels. So most of the time he went to places and people said, how can we transform X city into the next Silicon Valley? Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, this is one of those things that people usually talk about, right? Exactly. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I would say that that's where, uh, like, this purpose, this this creative purpose comes in. And and, and that's that's the most important thing, I would say. Technology itself, I mean, human beings have always had technology. Uh, I think a lot of times we confuse the, the term technology with other things. Like we'd say technology is short for information technology. Um, there's all sorts of technology. Yeah, there's this great book, uh, which is, which I've just, I'm still reading, which is, um, well, the author has this thesis uh, where, well, the most basic technology humankind has developed is language, right? Oh, yeah, that's good. Right. <laughs> and surprisingly, uh, humans have been around for, uh, you know, two million years, uh, almost happens, maybe just a little bit less than that. But language has been with us for 100,000 years, maybe mm -hmm. 200,000 years. So it took us, you know, most part of one million years to develop language mm -hmm. and you know almost sapiens sapiens yeah. without language yeah. you know so uh but the, the whole thesis of the book is that it took us um a long time to develop some technology that we now take for granted so if you consider mm -hmm. writing after we have developed language one hundred thousand years ago we we took 95 thousand years to develop writing because writing has been invented five thousand years ago or so um, so, um, yeah, um, some technology that we now take for granted, very basic, um, it's with us, has a species for relatively very, very mm -hmm. uh, few time. So quick break here just to tell you guys that um, if you're enjoying it, um, you can join our community and stay up to date with next conversations. Feel free to share with other what other topics you like to hear about as well. And we're going to leave you the link here on the description and also on our YouTube chat for our newsletter where you can join the productized newsletter and stay up to date. So getting into products, uh, one phrase that um, we got from you is um, this thing is for people that live in a world that has begun to explore space. It must be as amazing as that. So these are words that, um, uh, well, it seems that you start every new project with with these words in mind. So is this like a mantra? Can you elaborate on this thought process of yours? Um, yeah, it is. Mantra is a good word. Uh, I I like to stay motivated in the things I'm doing. Mm. 
Um, and I use that. I, I use that very early, uh, even within like since university. I, oh. I remember clearly doing that in a specific project I did um, for like this. I think it's on the on, on the on the on the portfolio. Yeah, it's like on the second project on the like the electric bike there that like electric spinning bike. That was the first one. I thought, well, I want to make something that's for people that. Uh, are going out into space, <laughs> you know, like uh, okay. so. So a early version of Peloton. Yeah, very early. It was like 10, 10 12 years ago. Um, okay, you could be a millionaire by now. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> just didn't, didn't invent the Peloton can, concept. I, I guess I people guess. can, yeah, can see, look at that like that. Um, the the idea was, yeah, came to me like that. Like I wanted to, I was starting to feel tired about the project i was doing the project with the two two colleagues of mine uh one of them you know became a very good friend of mine um and we were like very intensely deep on the engineering of this um and i was like damn this, this is really hard and it's getting a bit messy and but how do i stay motivated and that, that those words kind of a is, is a modern way like a current way of me of explaining what i was thinking That's right. this was in avaro right i was in avaro yeah and, and which is by the way one of the biggest uh european hubs of bicycle manufacturing yeah yeah Avair. did yeah. you get to visit bike bike factories yeah, there yeah i went to uh, orbiter hmm. back then um historical bike manufacturing yeah. here mm-hmm. yeah pretty cool um, any learnings from orbiter yeah, from those visits. Oh, right? the visits. Oh man, um, I think the that that is the reality we don't see, right? Where it's kind of like how people. A lot of people talk about usually about food um, and about how food is made, um, but sometimes we forget about how things are made uh, yeah. and the reality of the things being made and the people that are there making those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can it can be uh, amazing. Uh, we went to. I remember going perfectly to this. Uh, uh, the, the uh, I think it's Simold's metal metallurgy. Yeah, it's the part of Simold's that m- actually makes the the molds in Avarum, and it was amazing. It had like all these robotic arms, uh, you know, cutting big chunks of metal. Um, very high tech even back then. Um, at the same time, uh, you know, I remember going to one or two factories that that I'm not going to name, and I felt, man, these people are being like. Are working in the in the in the conditions of the industrial revolution, you know, like you'd see like barely lit areas of mm. these factories. So some of these factories yeah. are still a little bit old school. Yeah, pretty not old. all of them. But yeah, but yeah, yeah, but you have all you have here and there like uh, these things, and it's very interesting to understand that that's where some of our products are coming from, and how that's actually still the product you're you're you're, you're making, right? So when you th- design something, when you think about that. I mean, these days it's it's all part of the same uh, package, right? People are much more aware of the things you're you're making. And, Absolutely, yeah. So one of the projects I I did uh, at CycleHack. Do you know CycleHack? I don't know it. No, CycleHack's like a hackathon for cyclers okay. <laughs> and cyclists. So I did this project called Biking on Mars, which was a bike for cycling in in Mars, and you know, yeah. rationale for biking on Mars. I think it's like one of the probably one of the stupidest ideas ever. Uh, nice. But I'll be very much uh, interested in discussing on uh-huh. cycling in Mars with you. Thirty-eight percent gravity is going to make the make it difficult, yeah. but yeah, yeah. But there's like lots of good news as well. But anyways, <laughs> I don't want to hijack the conversation here. Cool. So, can you tell us about the the planning for your smart projects and how do you do it? Uh, when do you start? Um, for which projects? For whatever project, because right. I have so many projects, and most of these projects that you have here on. Your website they start with some sketches yeah right yeah. and you do some 
sketches, I guess, on your iPad or something? No, iPad, yeah. Before on was your it, iPad? Yeah, yeah. So you do it on your iPad, and and then what's next? You After sketching, after you're doing this very initial mock-ups, how you go phase two, mm-hmm. which sometimes might be the 3D renders and something like that? Yeah, I mean, sketching is is uh, has stayed with me. Mm-hmm. I haven't done, uh, of course, always the same type of project. I've worked in hardware, uh, as you see a lot. I yeah. worked in software as well, and I still do a lot of sketching. Um, and I think it was always a big, big, like one of the skills I value the most I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it just is, a, a commu- both is a thinking tool, is a communication tool, right? Yeah, it is. Uh, and when you, th- when you use it as a thinking tool, uh, you know, you just you can really uh, accelerate the thing you were talking about before, like creating something that is quickly interesting. And I'm seeing sketching more than actually, you know, going. For, for instance, a lot of the tools for creativity have really just become amazing, right? I mean, these days you can design, for instance, like for instance, if you're making an interface on Figma, you're immediately creating something that's very clearly yeah. very similar to the end goal. Very high fidelity. Very high fidelity. Um, you know, but when you start by sketching, you actually, you you have this mistake feedback loop. Mm-hmm. You know, like you do a line, it's it's wrong. <laughs> and your brain sees, oh, but wait a second, this looks like that. And you and it creates a communic like a, a communication between your hand and your brain yeah, that you're very not very real time. Yeah, very real time. And you don't have to commit to what you're making. If you're for 15 minutes making a, a series of you know uh, uh, like buttons and systems in, in your in your figma yeah. file you're already committed there and you so maybe your, going back your hard. process is starting with some you know paper sketching on your ipad just sketching some designs layouts or mm-hmm. if it's a physical product i guess yeah yeah that would be the way i guess before that is just talking with a lot of people and getting the the information and data but uh that's something that i even sometimes start doing at the same i I even start sketching sometimes at the same time listening to people you've always been a sketcher or you learned this this skill at university no i was always i was always sketching things since i was a very very small person (laughs) young since i was like four or five so where do you get your inspiration from uh where do you get this ideas for all these products that can be seen on your website so most of these products are connected with space robots you know mm. products for the future even solar power hydrosphere iponic agriculture 3d printers etc mm. um can you tell maybe our listeners the story behind aqua and how it oh. works so what it what is it and yeah as there was pro- there was a project that was done in a very interesting context uh at the Politecno di milano mm. um the this was basically this was basically a, a um, kind of a, a big trend back then uh, of called auto autoproduzione where you just develop not only the product you develop the company you develop the POS you you sell the product you develop the value chain all by yourself it's kind of like a, a hard, back then they called this but it's basically it's today is the hardware 101 startup kit. Um, and the the students in this class were, you know, just given the the goal of making it anything. Um, and this was the outcome. Um, actually, the materials and all that were uh, sourced in the Milano area. <laughs> and I went to a couple of the uh, uh, artisans to actually confirm I could actually make it. I made a prototype, uh, a working prototype with an Arduino. Um, uh, and... The, the the goal was just to say uh, this was in 2011 I think 
But it's something that's happening a lot now, which is um, the idea that people can actually produce some food at home eventually mm -hmm. uh, in, in a scale, but not only at home. So it's a modular system. Uh, as you can see, there's a hexagonal structure to it. You yep. can scale it up to, uh, you know, be covering a whole wall of a of a barn, for instance. But you can also make it very small and, and you know put it in your balcony. But this this project stayed at the conceptual level. Yeah, at prototype level. Yeah, yeah. Prototype. I didn't actually uh, make any sales on it. No. <laughs> um, so one of the things that surprised me a lot about your thought process and lots of the projects you have at your website is really the divergent thinking and the way that you know you see you can see space and then you can see solar power and then you can see uh, hydroponic um, you know sustainable projects or you can see ad tech projects drones you know spacesuits and so on and so forth fashion tech is divergent thinking something you did you believe or you just have this mind which goes all over these places? Well, I, I try to use that uh, a lot. So, uh, you know, I think it's one of the things that it really motivates me. It's to keep my mind, you know, uh, fresh and interested. Uh, having a very different project coming in is really insightful for anything else you're doing. Um, so there's this kind of cross-pollinization of ideas, right? Mm -hmm. Um And um, I've been always a big nerd in a sense. I've always loved to think about what's going to be the what's what the future is going to be like, right? How can you be excited about the day for of tomorrow, right? Uh, and a little bit of Leonardo da Vinci, right? Style. Oh, don't, no, you I, go here, you go to the helicopter, you go to the you know the gun machine or whatever it is. Um, it feels a little bit like for sure when you go on your website. So, but what kind of resources do you turn uh, when you need inspiration? Conversations. Um, I think it's the main resource, main fuel. Having conversations with But do you have any people. structured form of having those conversations or just happen to know lots of people and have lots of conversations? Mm, wow. Especially now with you know with COVID. Um, yeah, you have to work hard. <laughs> you have to work kind of harder to make an happenstance. Yeah. Uh, right. It just don't happen to bump on people. Yeah. yeah. Although we did the other day. Uh, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I was biking. Yeah. Um, so what's your structure? Do you set meetings with specific people you have like uh, schedule specific hours of the day to have new conversations with people mm. how, how does it work i I, ha i have a structure in my head that never happens or very uh, <laughs> okay seldom happens um which is try to have a, a a schedule interesting conversation outside of my work uh per week at least mm. um but what usually happens is those conversations come to me or it sometimes doesn't really happen the way i'm planning you know uh, but when i when i really feel like it I, i i do that and also because for instance some of those projects that you see there um actually moved me into researching and uh, you know i wanted to have these conversations um happen and you know i've been i've been of course going through the process of okay let's how do i get get this going do i harass people on linkedin and just you know make them talk with me which of course was something i did of course and i still do but uh, you know the structure i think that's important is try to make friends with people in areas you really like because first of all you're going to be good friends with them mm -hmm. you know you're going to like talking with them and you're going to you know increase your network range by you know 10x probably because right. they're going to be outside of your realm talk with people in areas that you like 
Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm going to code that. Maybe tweet about it. Sure. All right. So what's what do you think is the most creative thing you've ever done? Oh, <laughs> that's you know one of those questions, right? But uh, do you have any favorite something that you really hold dear in your heart? Something. Ah, man. Or maybe the opposite. Just tell me about a time where what you consider to be a very innovative idea didn't work out, and what did you mm. learn from it? Maybe that's easier. Oh yeah, I mean I have plenty of. Uh, um, failure stories. Failure, <laughs> failure to launch. Okay. Yeah, failure to launch is a big one. Um, Just one. Sure. I mean, I wouldn't say that I've that I consider these failures something that is dead because I like to restart projects now and then if if I see that the you know the the world is different and perhaps things can start. Yeah, maybe now. timing is there. Yeah, exactly. Maybe the wave is there. Right? Yes. Yeah, you can surfed. write it. Yeah, you can, you can write surf it. it. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Are you into surf, by the way? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was just surfing this morning. You were? Yes. Oh, God, man. I wish. <laughs> I was uh, good today. Here? Yeah, in Caparica. Uh, Caparica? Okay. Mm -hmm. So you, you just see the the wave conditions every day, and if it happens to be good, you go to Caparica and do I some... Yeah, I try to go two to three times a week, a even week? Uh, depending on uh, if it is within my reach if it's too small sometimes i also go just to mm -hmm. you know make a just stance to chill out and <laughs> yeah. you know yeah it's super important yeah. so what do you think has been your star product or the project that yep. you are most proud of and i know that you're still very much working as a product manager for yep. and head of product for ubo so can you tell us a little bit about that not necessarily implying that is the project i mean i'm really proud of what we did at ubo by the way um it was done with um, you know a small amount of resources, if you think about it, mm -hmm. and it was done <clears throat> for scale. All you know, ever since, mm -hmm. I would say that um, it's a product. So people don't know what is Ubo. Yep. What is it, Ubo? So Ubo is pretty much a all-in-one uh, app to learn how to code for young ages. It starts from the very basic concepts and goes all the way to you know whatever you would like to make. Usually, for these ages, kids are very interested in. Um, making games and video games so mm -hmm. they that's one of the, the so age parts. ranges being from yeah it's six seven up so usually seven is a good one to start right. if you're if you're looking to direct to consumer we also sell to uh, schools and to governments all and the way until they're what 15 yeah so. yeah yeah i would say that um we have a, a kind of a hard stop at 12 but that's just something we do at schools in the consumer market we saw that you know the kids keep using it uh, until later it's, and that has opened you know up some opportunities of making things like course more interesting courses uh we're thinking a lot about making you know courses in in fintech you know making courses within like data science hmm. so something that's more specific for more kids. applied for kids yeah a okay, blockchain for kids <laughs> Yeah, well, it has has it's something that's been yeah, around. Know, the other day, I was I was visiting uh, BGA, which is the Brave Generation Academy. Are you familiar with those guys? But yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's like one of those, uh, you know, they're trying to do schools uh, a little bit different. And I was speaking with this fourteen-year-old kid, and he told me, "Well, I asked him why you're here, right? Why are you doing this kind of school? Because you know, it's a school where you can kind of choose your own." schedule you can go when you want you can leave when you want so because i'm investing in, in crypto i'm investing in crypto so i want i want to have my own schedule so i can have my time for crypto it's like 14 years old it's like god man this this is crazy but and they have a lot of barriers that they, those ages for instance you cannot really have an account at coinbase at that age you have to do everything by hand 
Yeah, so I don't know. Maybe he's uh, using his parents or, or yeah. something like that. But or maybe he just makes zeros on wallet. You know, puts puts money there. It's. I think also having barriers is interesting. You know, especially for as you mentioned before, like creativity and innovation. You know, having some barriers is sometimes a, a fuel for mm-hmm. for motivation. Um, but there's definitely an opportunity there. I would say uh, kids are very familiar with. Uh, parallel economies from gaming, for instance. Mm, yeah, exactly. Uh, they've been buying. Uh, yeah, you before know, the real economy, right? My kids, I mean, my kids are five and six. They're like, yeah. well, they'll tie. Hey, buy. Can I buy this on Minecraft or can I buy yeah. this on? Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, digital assets right now, exactly. honestly, are. I think it's their first contact is actually yeah. digital assets. That's something I never thought about. Yeah, true. One of the things we have here in Portugal, uh, at least in high school, related to computer programming, is that one computer programming is not part of the curriculum. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, most strikingly, it's not part of the high school of the, uh, the high school curriculum. So even if you are 15 or older, pre-university, yeah. you're not required to do any kind of computer programming. So you can go fresh to the university, even for um, let's say computer programming or computer science, and you have zero knowledge of how mm-hmm. you know a computer works, how to build a program, how to you know what is an algorithm, the very basics. Don't you think? that computer programming should be one of the core competencies um, of the actual educational system, not something that schools, especially, you know, private schools end up buying as an afterthought or an add-on for... I mean, that's what we've been doing in Uwe, by the the way, at schools. I mean, uh, we don't have uh, half of the... uh, We have half of the uh, school clusters in Portugal Mm -hmm. uh, using Ubu and a lot of private schools with that motto of trying to bring computer science to the classroom. early classroom. And the main goal, I think, I mean, this has been our uh, kind of our vision since very early, is, okay, there's a huge demand in the industry. There's a huge demand in the parent uh, side. Um, there's a huge interest in the kids. Um, the way it's delivered is the problem. It is sometimes too complicated to be just given to a teacher that hasn't been formally trained in computer science. And usually in the younger ages, it's hard to find teachers that are very uh, good educators and at the same time trained in, uh, you know, these concepts. Um, so that there's always been, you know, the kind of the goal. I think that the main and the main goal here also for, for uh, you know, computer science and programming is not actually to make this um, uh, kind of motto of everybody's going to be a coder in the future that's not going to happen that's not what i think i think mm-hmm. that everybody's going to be technologists like what we if we think about it the, the references you said before right when the printing press was was invented it was th- thought about something still for the few and writing was still for the few right the technologists of the yeah. past are the regular people of today right. um these basic skills are is something that uh we consider basic but they were once very high you know, high tech. And I think the same thing is happening now with coding. It It is something that's more about understanding the concepts than actually, do, you know, being able to program in Python specifically. Um, you know, a lot of the people in the future perhaps are going to be programming actually in visual coding, um, not perhaps in using are you, are you verbose b- coding. bullish in no coding? Well, not, I, know, I don't say that that's... Uh, something that replaces coding itself, of course, mm-hmm. but it's something that a lot of the people that are not programmers that are going to be doing, you know, you know, programming in, for instance, uh, their daily lives, perhaps on a on an information station somewhere, uh, they're probably going to be using some logic system that's very simple 
and ideally doesn't require a lot of learning to actually you know get in, get in, get it started a lot of the visual you know no code environments are using more and more these concepts and it's becoming a, a wide use kind of thing right mm. uh, and if you think about it that's something good for the engineers because the engineers they want to focus on what's the end uh, kind of high level uh high level no the, the the edge of their of their field right they don't want to you know program websites forever <laughs> You know, like no. a, a few years ago, people would hire front-end engineers, like high, high profession, top yeah, of their game to make simple things. People now can just go things. on Squarespace or yeah. Wix to do that, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Regular Joe. So what would you like to design or project among the things that you have not done yet? So what what's your <laughs> secret uh, project there that you're aiming to do next? Well, you, you kind of hinted already to a couple of things that I'm very interested in. Um, I am honestly also in a moment where I'm looking at a couple of different things to do. Um, last year, I started uh, an idea around uh, kind of system engineering-based uh, software, but it, it is it is a difficult thing to enter. And mm. I've looked ever since into niches within um, kind of the you know future of human computer interaction especially human robot interaction so future of work in the field um that's one of the things i'm interested in it's like this I, a lot of people talk about telepresence these days as something that's interesting for the metaverse but mm -hmm. i think it's interesting also for real things right if you think about it um a lot to of the, to control auto yeah to control, control ro robots in yeah, the field exactly right? exactly Absolutely. you know like uh, you you're you're always going to need at least in the foreseeable future some um agency uh, in the field even if the machines are completely autonomous right mm -hmm. there's gonna be some human agency there um and being able to do that is, i think is very interesting another area i i would say of course uh within is with it comes within space and i'm looking a lot at the changes that is that are coming right next to us um i mean a lot of people might not be into the space sector a lot of people might be but Everybody has heard of SpaceX, and everybody's heard hearing all about what they're doing, right? Exactly. And that's that's a big change, I would say. Um, that's something that hasn't happened for the last fifteen years. People didn't know what programs were up after the, the space shuttle. Yes, yeah, space stopped being exciting. You know, maybe forty years ago, with maybe yeah. You know, I mean, and and these days, not only you have all these you know big shot uh, millionaires going to space, you have for the first time. Space like space first project products being sold to regular people. I think, for instance, a lot of the products that people usually have trouble to see that their space products already are here for have been here for a long time, right? Being mm -hmm. the communication products uh, that we use every day, or GPS is a very clear winner. But yeah, you, you know, know, there's there's a point definitely for space tech. Um, but ha lots of people has they see these billionaires going to space, they argue, well, you know. Mars is a place on Earth. It's called Sub-Saharan Africa mm -hmm. or whatever it is where, yeah. you know, lots of people still don't have um, basic. So we're trying to, to bring water to moon, which is very expensive <laughs> to go yeah. to lots of these countries and there's no proper sanitation. There's no proper water infrastructure. Mm -hmm. You know, even, even you know, I was in Cabo Verde uh, some years ago and one of the islands um, that is Boa Vista Island. So you have the tourism infrastructure, which works absolutely great. Mm -hmm. So all tourists going there, they have water, sanitation, and so on. And 
power. But then all the people working in those hotels, um, and don't take the question as a confrontation, it's just uh, how can we eventually help these people that are, you know, they were very ingenious. They were mm. very super ingenious. So they were having these entrepreneurs, and because there was no power distribution, what they would do, would they rent generators, mm. and they would do, you know, this uh, distribution of electricity to the, to the houses with this uh, rented uh, communal generators. They would have communal water stations. They would have communal filter stations and mm. so on. Obviously, unfortunately, no, no proper sanitation, but... Um, but the question is really, um, sometimes, you know, space is really inspiring, but uh, aren't we, shouldn't we be directing some of our brain power to some of these very pressing problems that we still have mm -hmm. here on Earth? I mean, that's a very and, and I, I, don't, point, I really yeah. don't think there is a dichotomy. I think mm -hmm. both things can be attained. It's just that lots of people are still shocked by... Um, this billionaire's agenda, and you know, we, yeah. you, you can go on Twitter and, and just follow the 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 whole the the, the whole controversies of um, yeah, yeah, stopping yeah. Um, <laughs> stopping food uh, shortage and stuff like that. I'm I'm not even going to that direction. I'm just trying to understand that mm -hmm. designers like you uh, and engineers are really crucial to bring some of these technologies that have been developed in the 60s and the 70s for the space program. You know, yeah. fuel cells, water filtration. Uh, you know, even advanced sanitation to people, uh, even, you know, bike and mobility technology, right? Because most of these people have no other means of mobility other than walking to places. Um, to places on Earth where you have people mm -hmm. and... There's you, no infrastructure. There's yeah. very little infrastructure, yeah. very little government support. Yeah, yeah, there's, so there's something very interesting, the question of infrastructure. And I, I was, actually, that's one of the things I was going to go into uh, because... This this weekend I was actually having a conversation about this. Um, there is a dilemma of innovation, usually in these areas of mm -hmm. infrastructure, right? It comes from will I invest now or wait for a better technology later, and it's going to be cheaper the investment. In the meantime, I suffer. But when I when I invest later, the in the infrastructure is going to be so much better. It's going to last so much longer that it just yeah. cell, value, right? cell phone technology exactly. is a good, being a good example good example that, right yeah. you have a lot of countries that benefited from that yeah, from they just waiting later frog to cell phone technology and right they didn't there. do all of the other ground yeah. stuff and and if you think about it i mean there's definitely a lot of the a lot of space stuff here because one of the big interesting things about space technology is that it's increasingly more interested in making autonomous self-sufficient things that don't require you know, like big grids. Um, one of the well, like one of the projects that I have there, and we were talking about it like a lot this this summer was, uh, you know, how to make a, lo a lunar base sustainable. Main problem of making a lunar base is energy. Mm -hmm. Now you think about it. Well, the moon has a lot of sun, right? Right. Well, it has for fourteen days. Then has a fourteen day night. <laughs> <laughs> right. And and batteries probably are not going to make I mean, much difference. You have to have a big big. Yeah, there supply, were some right? plans. Uh, I, I guess even in the sixties to take uh, nuclear power to the moon. Well, there's plans now. There's plans now, and and that's pretty much where we're at right now in uh, the future of energy. Right. Energy, for instance, uh, coming from um, you know, let's say advanced sources such as high uh, like efficient nuclear small nuclear reactors right the smrs mm -hmm. are something that's still being talked here on earth but would benefit enormously remote right. locations there's a couple of companies actually couple, doing that yeah, right now working on that 
right? Yeah. Developing, uh, you know, and that's space nuclear, technology. That's space technology. That's being used on Earth, and I would say that that's where I think is there's. A Although lot of I would not recommend. You know, going to the favela and putting a, a nuclear power uh, generator there just in case. <laughs> Maybe I mean, that's not the best idea. I don't know. It, it is. It is a questionable thing. I mean, the the problem of nuclear right now is, is a big one. Um, I would say that there's this is one of those dilemmas again, infrastructure dilemma. I would say also there's a lot of them in housing. There's a lot of them in food sources. There's a lot of them in sanitation. Uh, all of these problems of like modular, simple uh, kind of things that can land from the sky approach mm-hmm. um, is something that I think is but very It has a designer, you know, sorry, I might be <laughs> yeah, diverting a little bit, but has a designer. Aren't you shocked about that uh, overlord approach of technology dropping from the sky? <laughs> because, yeah, you know. Drop shipping dro- in your house. Yeah, if you have this technology, which is so obscure, which sounds like magic, it, it is mm-hmm. effectively magic, right? It's a black box and suddenly it powers a village where it suddenly gives, but People in that village, they have very little agency on mm. that technology. They have no, yeah. you know, they cannot fix it. They cannot, um, you know, tweak it. Uh, aren't you more uh, like an open hardware kind of guy? Open innovator, yeah. I mean, it, totally. I would say uh, going a little bit away from the nuclear side of things. Yeah, except <laughs> nuclear. Maybe that's not the Because I, I wouldn't apply it to that. Right. But um, going into these kind of uh, self-sufficient uh, modular things we're talking about, right? I mean, we're, one of, for instance, one of the one interesting projects. There's a lot of these right now, of course. But one interesting project I was close with uh, a while ago uh, was um, at you know, there's this company in the north of Portugal, JP Sakuro. They they do computers. They also did this uh, modular uh, school uh, project that you would pretty much have a container. And inside there's a whole school. Oh, and wow. there's a whole school full with, uh, you know, has internet connection, has its own energy supply with solar panels, has its own uh, series of uh, uh, kind of uh, usable some resources. Some microsystems tried to do that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They did. Yeah. They like, they had like a server Mount, full data yeah. center on a, on a, on a um, container. On the container. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they, they have the same uh, concept and, and sorry to, to interrupt you, but what's your take on that? Well, the idea is to pretty much send these schools into remote areas and mm-hmm. they become usable suddenly. Uh, so you can right. bypass the infrastructure need, right? And this is something that I don't think is... Do, do they have any specific case in the, in the field or is this... Yes, yes. I think I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what are the locations they have right now. I'm, I was hearing about Kenya back then, but mm-hmm. you know, it's better to go to their website. I mean, there's plenty yeah. of... Uh, I think they do have a huge yeah. contract in Kenya. Yeah, exactly. There's plenty of these opportunities, I would say. And I wouldn't say that this is just for developing countries. Mm -hmm. I would say that this is also something that we can look more and more for the developed world. You know, like one of the big problems we have is the lack of redundancy. You know, like if the power grid fails somewhere, uh, we're still very dependent on a few power sources, even here in Lisbon, right? And um, if you think about it, communication is one of the big, big problems right now, right? If if communication were to fail... Uh, in a vast area for a few days, what would happen? Um, yeah. You know, like there's no way, like in the past, people would have their own radio stations. Radio there would amps. be radio amateurs that would be able to communicate. Right now, if there's a failure of the communication system, there's no way for anybody to talk after you know, a while. Actually, um, you know, I have a friend and she told me that her, her dad is a radio ham. Oh, really? Yeah. So 
apparently the the emergency response services they do have uh, a plan for that mm-hmm. and they do an exercise every year with the radio ham people and there's more radio ham oh, people nice. that you can actually sync you know that's there's, good that's good you know there's lots of radio ham people out there so they actually do it um, and they do it to foresee that situation so in case there's a major uh, communication um, break of the national infrastructure radio ham guys are to take Save over the day. and save the day can yeah. they can they really say i mean that's is there a, there a, dr- a drill that uh, you know they, they do. do they do oh, a drill nice. they do a drill on I, i think it's a yearly basis and they you know it's volunteer of course but they are working with the police with the firefighters mm-hmm. to you know to keep the bulk and the backbone of the communication service working mm-hmm. in case yeah. of a terrorist attack or something like that god forbid one of the projects uh, that you showcase in your website it is the roses base a lunar base designed for repurposing spacex starships that makes lots of sense and my question to you is so this is something you guys developed during the the spacex yep. university sorry the the space uh, university um how far is this project from being actually considered from you know by by nasa or spacex and <laughs> Well, that's uh, that's uh, the big question here, right? Um, we were presenting it on in Dubai uh, a couple of like a month ago, and that was the main like question that experts did. Um, I have to say that we did a, did a, a lot of work in trying to reach SpaceX mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, from several in several uh, attempts, several ways from people that work there, people that. I would say that currently the big question here is, of course, the hardware. I mean, Starship is currently under development, as everybody knows, and mm-hmm. it's a big investment of of SpaceX. There's all kinds of problems all all the time arising, right, with all sorts of things. But um, I would say that the big big takeaway of the project is let's look at what's happening right now, and the big shift in especially the you know, larger kind of um, uplink, let's say, um, area of space, which is the launching size uh, area, is the cost of mass to LEO, let's say. Let's make it in a very simple way. Cost of mass to LEO. Until now, cost of mass of a kilogram to LEO was particularly Leo high. Being right? lurs- low, uh, low, Earth low Earth orbit. Yeah, orbit. yeah. I'm going to use perhaps this term a lot. So low Earth orbit, um, the kind of general way of saying an orbit around like 400 kilometers high it's it's it goes a bit higher goes a bit lower sometimes um there's a couple of uh, uh you know good reasons for you to consider this because it's kind of like the when you can say you're in space kind of deal you're in this type of uh leo low earth orbit um of course being too low in this orbit is dangerous because you get friction and you eventually deorbit so that's why for instance the, st- the space station is a bit higher around 400k still you deorbit so they have to do corrections mm-hmm. even you know there so the big thing is starting there getting anything any material to that height is still expensive what's what these guys are doing is trying to reduce as much as they can the price by making a 100% reusable system which was by the way the dream of the space shuttle when it started the you know nasa was making still making the the saturn V rockets still building them and they said this is not going to go, go on forever this is going to be canceled because it's impossible to make you know disposable flying uh, you know buildings filled with fuel that get completely destroyed after they're you know used and there's only like 1% of its mass you know 
in landing space, on Earth. Actually. Yeah. Um, so you want to make something that's 100% reusable. And they sold it like this to Congress. When it went to the engineering side of things, people thought that this is going to be much harder than we think, making 100% reusability in, in, the, in the 60s and the 70s. Mm-hmm. Eventually, the shuttle was only partially reusable, the, the main orbiter and the, sh- the, the rocket uh, propellers, uh, rocket boosters. But still, that was a dream. And the dream continues, right? I mean, you just you saw, for instance, very recently, like uh, on Rocket Lab just announced a also partially 100%, partially reusable uh, version of their rocket. With a, a system like this one, like Starship, you can make, you can make something that's quite cheaper. And that was a basic basic argument. It's like, what is a lunar base in the age of Starship kind of things? And um, that's the only thing that's missing here is the, the link. I would say that the, the launch of lunar bases, the launch of space stations, the launch of satellite equipment is going to change drastically mm-hmm. because of this type of, of, of vehicles. Mm-hmm. And this is something that's a broader conversation, I think, which is quite interesting. Uh, you know, there's. I met I met these guys very recently. At um, actually met them in Dubai. Um, really, really love their work. You know, a bunch of students doing also like concept design work on space. Connex Connex Research Group. They did a a, a science mission, which was uh, aimed at landing on a moon of uh, you know Neptune. So a science mission with no you know uh, um, like ideas of commerce, but a science mission, traditional one that would rely on the launch of Starship and they could make something quite different, quite more interesting, let's say, that you can do today um, b- just because of the you know, uh, mass-to-earth to capabilities. All right, but anyways, the, yeah. and, and NASA is going to pay for the eventual lunar station that is going to be there, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, the idea here was Not actually, SpaceX. yeah, we thought about something that would um, kind of be uh, also uh, use, using funds that... Could be conceivable, so we thought about a a plan that uses both public and private uh, sources of money, and eventually this consortium would be self-sustainable. So there would be an initial public investment uh, so by NASA, and eventually, just for people yeah. maybe listening, it's not it's kind of you have the all the visuals here, but the idea is that you actually use the SpaceX yeah. uh, the Starship vehicle has the actual lunar station. Yes, so yes. it stays there. You cover it with with uh, regolith, regolith yeah. and then it's protected, it's insulated from solar wind radiation, and astronauts stay yeah, stay there. Exactly. Yeah. How do they get back home if the starship? Oh yeah, there's stays there? um there's a two mi- two starship mission. Uh, if you go to ConOps, I think it's a bit down. I'm not sure exactly. Mm-hmm. So the the concept of operations, yeah, that one, there. it requires two starships to start the thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you want to maximize the payload in the in the first kind of reusable uh, starship to have human beings, and the second one that's the the one that lands that's going to be transformed into a base, and it's going to have all the required so r- infrastructure. The, the, the first one that goes there goes without human beings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, they land pretty much at the same time. They're oh. made so that the mission is kind of like a simultaneous landing. Simultaneous landing. Cool. What? Where does the name Roses come from? Well, that's that's actually a sad thing here in the project. Mm-hmm. Um, during the during the the program, uh, we had uh, you know a lot of people working around us to kind of put the participants at ease. And one of the main people, like actually the main people, the student liaison, uh, you know, was was named Oscar Roses, and he passed away during the program. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's and we named named the the mission uh, after him. Okay, so hope Roses can see this project coming to fruition yeah. wherever he is um so another project 
is some kind of augmented reality device that you guys have developed for, um, I guess, this, the, the, the space mission, uh, the moon mission for astronauts to navigate on the moon. And you're telling me that this is something you realize because you started reading the reports from the actual astronauts on the moon. Yep. And one of the biggest problems was that they kept getting lost yep. all the time. Basically, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a lot of the conversation coming on right now. Uh, one of the reasons of uh, you know sponsoring a lunar GPS eventually, but that's a very high expense infrastructure, right? To actually make the lunar kind of missions happen. But yeah, you're right. I mean, when the astronauts started coming back, and even during the missions during the Apollo, there was a lot of uh, you know kind of confusion on the on the moonwalks, uh, especially regarding the efficiency of walks. A lot of the astronauts started to report difficulty in finding the locations and this was observed in the in the you know eva times um so one of the be you know there's a couple of different problems the the research around this is called lunar psychophysics by the way it's a funny funny name uh and goes around how we perceive the lunar environment right the psychophysics of it big problem first is you do not have a lunar magnetic field the, the moon does not you know, it's not happy, uh, it's not helping you with compasses. Also, you do not have a GPS, of course, but you do not have also, like, familiar references. So when you look around, for instance, a, a city or a forest or something, you see familiar references. You see things that you know how big they are, right? So when you see them far away, you say, well, that mountain might be very big, you know, compared to that rock, or that tree is, you know, is a tree I know, so I know this, the, 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 the distance to it, and I can navigate on the moon, it's nothing like that. It's a, first of all, it's a black and white environment, mostly black and white, right? It's a grayscale environment. You have rocks that you have never seen before. I mean, they're similar to those on Earth, but you do not know the size of them. Uh, this is something actually they would be uh, kind of the astronauts would do. They would kind of you know bet uh, uh, to the size of the rocks, how big the size of a specific rock was going to be uh, before they arrived to it. And um, of course, there's all sorts of strange uh, kind of reflecting, uh, 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 like visual things happening. So the sand, the sand, no, the regolith reflects light very differently from the one on Earth. So, so this yeah. would be like an augmented reality device oh, yeah, yeah, with yeah. a camera. You yeah, point. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going on on the lunar psychophysics thing. So basically the idea was to do one, a thing that would be very uh, simple to develop also would not require re-engineering of any spacesuit that existed because spacesuits, as everybody right. knows, take a long time to develop. So this would be something external. Uh, we started doing something that would be handheld, but we found out that actually handheld devices have a problem on the moon because they're in the vacuum of space. Mm -hmm. And that, that means that the, hand, the device has to be space-hardened. Right. Um, that's extra work on the product development side and on the engineering. So what happened later was we, you know, as a conclusion, kind of went towards something more of a head-held device. So something that the astronauts would actually put inside of the spacesuit before even uh, going on, uh, you know, on the, on the moonwalk. Right. But why, why have you guys developed your own handheld? Sorry, your headset, uh, and not well, reuse some of the. That's the thing. Reality. You can totally use an existing like Oculus Rift, or not Oculus Rift, but something like, like more of an AR environment. Microsoft uh, yeah. uh, Hololens. Yeah, like a Hololens, exactly. Um, and the idea is pretty much going in that direction. So it's more focusing on the software itself than developing a hardware solution. As long as it fits inside of the of the you know uh, astronaut helmet, I think mm, everything is fine. fine. Yeah. Um, also that you know bridges all sorts of uh, kind of product development uh, times. Um, yeah, it makes yeah. lots of sense. I mean, uh, 
fighter pilots are using that kind of tech already, right? Especially for yes, yes. F thirty five. Yeah, it was a good things. example we used. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You did? Okay, yeah, yeah. you know that. It so yeah. One of the, the the other projects I and now talking a little bit about aviation, uh, was that actually the um you know this chat concept that you guys oh, yeah. let you, you you developed, I guess. Um and you know what's what's the difference between this and some of the Airbus Zero e concepts that have they have come up, which are very similar? Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's basically just a study. Um, it looks it looks a lot like the the concept on the flying wing, which is currently being mm-hmm. developed on by Boeing, um, that uses um, you know this this full body uh, kind of design, and it was more about like. A study on on the on the exterior versus interior. I don't have the interior there, but it was more of a study, and it's very informal. It doesn't have uh, really nothing around it. It's just a, a study. I just put it there because I like how how the animation looked. <laughs> All right. Are are, yeah. are you familiar with a Portuguese uh, product company called Alma Design? Alma Design, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I think they yeah. have very heavy on. They're very good, very good on aviation. They they worked a lot now with. Um, Company called Eviation, mm. uh, which won a couple of pro- prizes there. They have an amazing design. It's a, it's a um, kind of you know intermediary uh, size vehicle, not really a, a light uh, plane, but a, a more of a multiple passenger vehicle that can take off from a small airport and land on another. Completely electric, um, and yeah, that's that's kind of a, a interesting direction they're making. Yeah, all right, and. Speaking about electrification and going a little bit into sustainable tech, are you aware of the the project of Toulouse, uh, which which is uh, still a concept project by Mark Luer, founder of Chat.com? They want to create a new city from scratch for five million people. Um, and yeah, and my my question to you is really how how do you think projects like like this can actually come to fruition? Are you yeah, really into this kind of moonshot projects because they they only seem to need something like I don't know one hundred billion dollars to to make it happen. <laughs> so simple. <laughs> I mean, if been to Dubai, which is a yeah, good example well, of you know yeah. uh, a city that has been born mm-hmm. in the last twenty or twenty five years in the desert, and now you know it's this magnet mm-hmm. um, for lots of people, millions of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but this kind of, you know, moonshot projects, this this sounds really crazy for lots of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, are you I a mean, believer? Yeah, I think uh, definitely the the question is is of course interest here, right? I mean, one of the, you know, there there's an interesting. I was just hearing this uh, like a, a while ago. A uh, very interesting series of podcasts on on the future of cities um, by the. Um, it's actually the Founders Fund VC guy. Um, forget his name right now, but uh, one of the one of the main people there, one of the main partners. Um, they have a big, interesting, big interest in the future of urbanization, mm-hmm. and they invited a bunch of people talking there. And one of the, like, you know, kind of uh, axioms there is the development of future cities from the ground up. Hmm. So something that would be uh, eventually partially privatized. So something that you know companies could do, and and do it in a sustainable way as well that considers you know the overall benefit of the inhabitants of the city. It doesn't require the just 
you know, a completely public model of urbanization, which is, I think, is quite interesting when you think about it. Because when you look at moonshot projects, <clears throat> especially when you look at, for instance, something like Dubai, there clearly has to be an alignment of a lot of interests there, especially in Dubai, where there's still, of course, a, a you know monarchy that decides to put the money where they, where they want. Um, and it has money, and <laughs> and they have. I mean, they they well, did. They did, and they you did. Know, uh, yeah. countries. Um, yeah, I mean, although Dubai is a very specific situation. Yeah, it's a very specific situation. I would say that moonshot projects in general are quite. I I like the idea of moonshot. I like the idea of uh, starting something um, or investing in something that requires investment. You know, mm-hmm. and that you know that requires investment, and nobody's putting money there because perhaps there's no like clear immediate economic value. And there's a couple of projects like that. Uh, you know, of course, we were talking about before we started talking here on this podcast about the X Prize projects, right? right? And a lot of them are going around this, right? Um, and there's plenty more. I mean, there's ones that go further away. Like one of the ones that we were talking. Um, uh, kind of, I think the edge one is kind of either breakthrough star shot or uh, limitless space, which are uh, kind of moonshot uh, funding projects for like things that don't even exist yet, like the physics don't even exist yet. So a couple of people doing uh, investment uh, on research for like how to make something move faster than light, for instance, or how to you know uh, send a message to or send a, a probe to. Alpha Centauri, mm-hmm. uh, or you know how to solve, for instance, the um, the energy production of a you know remote site, uh, or, or Dys- uh, right now Dyson Sphere, or Dyson Sphere. Yeah, those are the very limit. But the ones that are more achievable, I would say, have some interest there. Like, I mean, I would say the X Prize <laughs> ones are very interesting. Um, there's plenty of uh, funding going there. I, I like that those ideas. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I I believe that. That's coming from a few people that are interested in bettering overall, and they have, of course, uh, some you know idea that this might succeed. They they believe in the stake, um, and I think if it wasn't for them, it's very hard to you know just rely, of course, on the bottom up approach. So I think the both both cases should exist, right? I think the kind of this more uh, um, privatized bottom up, like decentralized way. Uh, of making urbanization, solving energy problems, you know, solving housing problems, is 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 should exist, and creative people should solve these like basic infrastructural problems. But also, the kind of moonshot thinking, where you have, uh, you know, a lot of very smart people uh, like getting together as much resources as they can to to put money in, for mm-hmm. instance, the future of education or the future of uh, you know uh, cement production, you know, or the future of you know CO two absorption. Uh, I think that's very, very valuable as well. Yes. And one one of the projects I found most interesting here, <laughs> especially because it seems still stealth, is Life 3.0. Okay. That's a sort of, I mean, your your website is very, very... Um, cryptic. Cryptic about <laughs> what it is. So it's about the health technology and the lifestyles of the future. Mm-hmm. Do you want to disclose a little bit? Open the kimono. Well, let's say that, I mean, biotech has always been something that I've been researching on the side. I'm very interested, of course, in uh, you know everything that has to do with epigen- epigenetics and you know biohacking. But it is something that I've uh, you know uh, kind of not moved a lot. There is a couple of ideas I've had in the past that have gone in this direction. I th- I really think that the future of, for instance, the you know regular bathroom is going to be the medical center of the house. Yeah, um, I mean I've been hearing that pitch for many years now. Yeah, it doesn't come to fruition. It doesn't you come. Know, I I struggle to measure my body weight every single day, and I have you know an advanced Wi-Fi skill. Mm-hmm. What's going on, man? 
Infrastructure. I think, you know, what the biggest problem is that has to be simple. I wake up, right? I go to the bathroom and and I skip the scale, right? The scale is there, but you know, the moment I put my 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 feet on the bathroom floor is the moment mm-hmm. I'm being measured. There is no way to run away from it, right? Mm-hmm. It should be that easy. Because if you have to, oh, now I have to wait or now I have to do this or I have to do that which mm. is kind of, you're going to run away from it. I mean, if you think about it, one of the clear cases of, uh, you know, the reductions of child mortality in, in the developed countries in the past was the you know, implementation of, uh, you know, uh, how do you say, water, piped water in, in, in houses, right? Yeah. This seems to us like something that's, okay, that's just water. No, it's, it's basically, it's a medicinal development, right? right. If you also look at the, the bathroom, uh, the, the easy thing to see is, okay, uh, I would like to have a smart mirror and a uh, shower that measures my body mass and, you know, regulates uh, whatever. This seems like the logical thing because we're used to think in high tech here right. in the developed countries in the West. But you have to think low tech. You have to think, you have to look at the bathroom and think low tech. Okay. And I think that's how, a big deal. How does that play with making your, you know, yeah. biomedical center uh, well, there's that's the, that's the research. I don't think I can say much more. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Look, one of, one of the things that really uh, surprises me, and I guess anyone listening to this, is that you are one person, or do you have a team, or you have oh, no, you're I, like I'm Santa Claus, lots of midgets <laughs> trying to help no, you. No, I'm one person. Yeah. So the, shouldn't you have like people behind you, like? conceptualizing this stuff <laughs> or working with you or kind of having more people uh, that's that's a good question um maybe, just maybe a I'll... solo guy that's the way it is and that's the way you want it to be uh, no i like to work with, work with more people a lot of these things are done in in teams right uh, yeah. and i i find uh of course people to work with um by myself i always have these ideas and i just you know write them down or i start developing something and eventually it comes up that okay this makes sense let's talk with somebody and and um, let's start a company out of it. Uh, sure. Um, I would say that's, I, I've thought about making research kind of teams in the past. Um, I don't know if it's inertia on my side or it's the opposite of just trying to keep moving somewhere and not stopping in a research center, but it's, it is something that has quite attracted me in the past. And uh, I don't know, maybe, uh, it's something I make and build up on, on, you know, part of these projects that I'm talking about here. Yeah. But it's a good question. <laughs> All right. So yeah. if you're listening to this, you want to be part, maybe just outreach as well and let him know. So what, <laughs> uh, what challenges are, are set for the future in terms of your product management, product designer practice? What are the biggest challenges that you foresee for the next five years for this profession? For the profession and of... Uh, for you specifically, okay. because you have been working. You are a practitioner. Yeah. Um, for So you're talking about... Where do you struggle the most? Like where do man- I struggle the managing most? Managing people? Is it specific mm. technology you want to uh, approach? What What's the biggest challenge? Well, I think usually that one of the challenges is is hiring people. Right, hiring. Right? Uh, I mean, we've all been there. Um, I think attracting talent is... There are two things, of course, people keep talking about when you make a company, when you make a project happen. One mm-hmm. of them is, uh, you know, attracting funding. The other is attracting talent. Uh, and keeping that attraction moving, right, um, as you go. Uh, and eventually, kind of, I see usually the founder or the, the, the main person behind the project as having those two things 
principally, right? right? Making the products and making the projects eventually is not going to be something you, you're going to be doing every single day. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that there is, of course, a lot of trends right now that move move people towards some directions. Um, and Talking about Web3? Yeah, yeah, for instance. Um, yeah, totally. I mean, when you go towards like the, 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 the attracting talents to specific projects, There is very interest, a lot of interest in you know like Web 3 and going into crypto right now. That pretty much has moved people from all of these like SaaS companies from the past into these. Yeah, worlds. it's actually taking the best people out of these yeah. companies, right? They yeah. they they go for the crypto coins. They go for you know the exciting, that exciting world. So that said, which founders or, or startups do you most admire nowadays? Oh. And if you just want to focus Portugal, that's fine because mm -hmm. now we have a pretty vibrant community. Or yeah, just people elsewhere. that I that I admire. And I know you're friends with everyone here in the, yeah, in the community. Yeah, yeah. So well, I I admire a group of people. Yeah, um, you might want to give a like more diplomatic answer, but then if you just want to have like some people that I, you want I like to a lot. I like a, usually there's a lot of focus. And again, you know, you know, I'm from the north, so you know. <laughs> Yeah, I like I, I a know, lot of I know the things. Are, I that know you are. A lot, I like a lot of the things that d are done. And lots of, of our unicorns are born yeah. north of Lisbon. Yeah, right? exactly. Most of them actually, like uh, <laughs> with, with exception of out systems, all the others are north of Portugal. So remote. Uh, yeah. Well, remote is a mix, but uh, yeah, far fetched for sure. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, here nationally, I would say that there's a lot of uh, you know, giving the diplomatic answer. I like a lot of the founders <laughs> from the north. Okay. Uh, maybe I just resonate with their That's culture. That's a semi-diplomatic answer. <laughs> and I, I particularly think it's because you know this northern part of Portugal is very industrial, is very in, in connected, connected with like mm -hmm. the dirty part of making companies. You know, making a factory is, I would say, or, or you know, but most the of hard these part. guys are not really into factory. No, no, no. With but the, it's the culture. I would say. Sword health, maybe a little I, bit. Yeah, sword health. Well, I would say it's the culture of making something uh, without. Um, I would, I would, well, it's hard to explain, <laughs> or how to hard to think about it, right? I think it's the it's the a way of making something in a very like, um, I would say breaking down way. Um, but I will not be able to differentiate in a general way between north and south. That's kind of unfair because there's a lot of also brilliant people here in the south. But I really like a lot how a lot of these people think, and also being very simple, kind of in their ways. A lot of these people are very simple in the ways of thinking. You know, even though they are super smart. They try to be as simple as possible. So uh, uh, aiming for simplicity and not complexity. Um, but Any you know, specific example come to mind? or uh, Well, let's talk about, for instance, uh, I'm going to talk about something outside Portugal. All right. um, so I, I really admire this guy, like, uh, you know, like initialized uh, the VC, you know mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. uh, I really, really admire their, their approach. You know, they, they initialized, have, right? Initialized, right. Uh, yeah. This guy, Gary Tan, is you know, pretty cool right now. He's... Um, He's a very interesting case. You know, talking about Web3, he's he's like strong believer behind Web3, but also he is thinking about how the future will exist with Web3. It's not talking about, okay, the future is just Web3. No, the future is going to exist around this. And uh, they just secured a 700 million uh, fund right now. Uh, they were very early investors in Coinbase, but also invest in all sorts of things. Mm. Their, their latest, uh, so I think they announced this yesterday, their latest um, kind of, Investment thesis uh, is quite interesting because they have, uh, you know, several, uh, you know, uh, kind of broad areas here. Uh, they don't talk about just, okay, the future of blockchain. They also talk about, okay, the, building the future that we want to live in. 
um, you know, so investing in practical ways of, for instance, you know, sucking CO2 out of the air and making concrete out of it or investing in, uh, you know, the future of, uh, you know, simple uh, personalized medicine uh, uh, approaches to things. Um, I, I, I like the, the way they think because they're also very focused. Um, but what else? Let me think out of the top of my head. Yeah, well, while you're seeking, maybe... Um, maybe we can just hear another question. How, could, could you tell us how a good idea can turn to a good business? What's your thesis behind oh, wow. idea to business? Good idea to the good business. Um, I mean, because that's really the, the, the VC yeah. struggle, right? If you go to these guys, and I guess even for initialized thesis, which is very bold, you know, lots of those very interesting ideas, right? You have, but how how do you make good business out mm -hmm. of sucking CO2 from the atmosphere mm -hmm. when CO2 prices are, are still not very competitive, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's for, really a struggle, right? That's a big struggle. I mean, a good idea and a good business, I would say, are very often um, seen as different things. Uh, I mean, good businesses, uh, by definition, are very sustainable and very worthwhile pursuing, while good ideas might be unsustainable in a sense. They might be one-shots, right? Um, I would say that falling into the idea that every good idea has to be a business is also a, perhaps a fallacy. I mean, we have uh, a current understanding that everything should be commercial, right, in, yes. the, in the future. Yeah, some people. I mean that, yeah, yeah, but that's that's the the dominant rhetoric. Yeah, is. we have that rhetoric in, in a lot of in the startup industry. I mean, a lot of the things that we have in the world might just be uh, not good businesses for a while, maybe in mm. the future, but for a while they might not be. I think a lot of the interest behind making good businesses is the word sustainable, and I think that's worth it. Um, one of the things that I usually see people that succeed in making ideas into good businesses, I would say ideas. Let's say ideas into good businesses. I mean, it, it, there's a lot here, right? There's so there's, many people talking yeah, about this. A lot. But one of the, the the things that I that I see is that they are relentless into pursuing this sustainability option. They do not Finan fall in love financial sustainability. Yeah, they do not fall in love in just the first thing they thought. They thought about something, they change it enough to just make uh, you know whatever they're making uh, grow and you know have more people using it or having a, a larger margin uh, make make sense to the buyer having a, bar, a larger cash flow. I mean, usually these people are you know kind of in a sense more passionate about the business side than just the idea. When you see people that are uh, you know when you see the the good ideas, I would say. The opposite can also happen. You know, like look at these moonshots we were talking about before, right? Mm. A lot of these moonshots are great ideas, bad businesses for now, mm. but it's really good that some people are interested in funding them. And honestly, it should balance out a little bit and somehow it still does. Somehow still people that make a lot of money think, well, perhaps we should invest in, you know, the future of sanitation or perhaps we should just put money in the future of, uh, you know, CO2 removal. Um but I would say that the, like, for instance, when you talk about before about space, I mean, and we talk about Web3 right now, it's, it's the opposite reality. You know, you go into a Web3 convention, everybody knows how to make the money. They just continuously change and shift the analogy, right? Right now it's gaming. Before it was, you know, ICOs, before it was something else. Um, and the, the opposite happens in space. You know how to build things in theory. You know how much they might cost, but you have no idea of how to make the money. 
right? The the use cases, the business cases, let's say, the use cases in are, are known, but the business cases are very cryptic, let's say, in that case. Crypto for space or something like that. Just I mean, I mean a lot of people... crypto to make money to go to space. I guess yeah. <laughs> that's an idea. Maybe, yeah. Who knows? Um, yeah, I think, I think it's like the quintessential um, opportunity for humankind is, is, is because we're going to need so much energy for mining crypto or doing crypto or whatever crypto is, that we're going to build a Dyson sphere. <laughs> so that's that's the whole objective. It's like building a huge Dyson sphere well, just I mean, to yeah. power crypto. I, I would know. say I would say crypto is actually going towards a lot of uh, more energy efficiency right now. I mean the new it like should. Yeah, and it, it, it is. It is. I mean, there's already a lot of talks of the main. I mean, at least Ethereum is going to do that very soon in the Ethereum too, right? It uh, is with uh, the proof of stack, and a lot of the main, like uh, uh, let's say, uh, blockchains are betting a lot on proof of uh, stack and, mm-hmm. and other less energy consumption uh, systems. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, I think it's a human thing. You start out with the low uh, efficiency, high profit thing, and, and eventually you, you make it more efficient and more efficient, more efficient, more efficient. All right. So, what words of advice would you give your younger self? I mean, that high school boy, a 17 years old, uh, Hmm. that was about to take his physics degree. What would you tell him? Hmm. (laughs) Don't go to the physics degree. Go to the go to the. Well, no, I I I think I mean I think uh, that was really a good thing I did. Uh, A mistake. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a good mistake, you know, going into science. I always am happy of getting going through sciences and engineering. Uh, they made me struggle a lot and think. Um, I would say that um, knowing early enough that you can really learn anything that you want, hmm. you can really learn anything, and you can make things out of anything. So I think I learned this a little bit late, uh, perhaps m- maybe during the, the university, that you know, I was I was kind of working. I had courses on, for instance, three D modeling, mm-hmm. and then I was I was aware that I could draw anything, but I was not aware that this would be transferred into any other thing in my life. That eventually, through learning, you can really accomplish a mastery of any you know uh, kind of technical idea or any way of producing stuff. Right, like. Eventually, I learned, you know, you can make, you can generally apply business plan for anything, right? You can, if you know how to make a business plan, you can, you know, define any company you want. That's something you just need to learn. It's not something that's born with you, mm-hmm. you know, you're, and, and perhaps my 18-year-old self was a bit too thinking that, well, there's things that are, and maybe I was born with this drawing thing, but maybe other things are not really up my alley. Um and, uh, you know, I think really, especially the new generation, I mean, I've been in touch with, you know, people from like younger ages because of Ubu a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, they are very, very experimental um, and really, uh, you know, prove that, that thesis, I would say. All right. So any books or events or projects that you would recommend your friends? Books, events, or projects? Mm-hmm. Anything that you're kind of, to now that hey you should definitely watch this tv series or <laughs> read this book or go to this event okay um to which friends the ones that like space <laughs> you know your friends okay um podcast listeners good things that i like um i've been having trouble reading 
I've mostly listened now to to audio uh, books or to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, I have well, pod- a podcasts also. Yeah, well, I I think people should should check out Anatomy of Next if they can. Is that a podcast? Yeah, it's a it's the one by by um, uh, Founders Fund. Amazing. They have one series on innovation. They have one series on making a Mars settlement with existing technology. Super cool. They have one on the future of cities. Um, very cool indeed as well. All right. Too I bad mean. they stopped making the the third one. Uh, don't know why. Um, I would say also reading. Mm. It's fine if you don't have anything top of mind. Are you still reading your National Geographic magazine? <laughs> yeah, I mean it comes every month. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, guys. This was our interview or podcast, live podcast with Joel Montenegro. Um, thank you for joining us at the Productize Podcast. If you enjoyed your stay, give us your review on Spotify Podcasts or wherever you're listening to us. Share this episode with friends and colleagues. You also have show notes and more episodes at productize.medium.com. And you can join our community anytime. We will share the links in the chat and in the description. Next podcast will be in January for an upcoming you know, year and hopefully very interesting lineup. Keep an eye on our networks or join the Productize Academy. And until the end of 2021, you can still join for free. And there's plenty of content and events that you, you don't want to miss. We'll share the link in the description as well. This podcast was produced by Teresa Sishishmundu. It was hosted by myself, Andre Marquis. It was research with Katrina um, Truzik and the sound editing is by Miguel Souza. Thank you for listening.